0: For Tuesday, June 2nd, 2020, this is Did You Wash Your Hands? We're a podcast from WABE answering the questions everyone's asking during the COVID-19 pandemic. I'm health reporter Sam Whitehead. Today, not all scientific research is created equal, but knowing what research to pay attention to isn't easy, especially
1: during a global disease outbreak. If you make people think that every single study is important, Then during a pandemic, they're going to think that every single study is important.
0: Ivan Aransky, co founder of the blog Retraction Watch, has been tracking sketchy studies on the coronavirus. He'll tell us how to tell the good research about COVID 19 from the not so good. That's next. You love free.
1: Support for WABE's local coverage on maternal health and mortality comes from Georgia Health Initiative, whose mission is to inspire and promote collective action that advances health equity for all Georgians. Learn more at georgiahealthinitiative.org. Just because a study makes it into the
0: pages of a research journal, that doesn't mean it necessarily is past scientific muster. That's where the blog Retraction Watch comes in. For close to a decade, it's been tracking research studies retracted from journals as a window into the scientific process. Already, they've gathered a collection of work related to COVID-19 that's either been retracted or called into serious question. Ivan Aransky co-founded Retraction Watch. He's also VP of Editorial at the medical news website Medscape and teaches medical journalism at New York University. He joins me now for more. Ivan, thanks for talking with me. So you have been tracking at Retraction Watch a number of studies related to COVID-19 that have actually made it into journal pages and then been retracted. A recent one that your blog focused on looked at the effectiveness of masks in stopping the spread of the coronavirus. I'm wondering if we can kind of start by talking about that as an example of, of what can happen here. So tell me a little bit, if you could, about that study and kind of what happened with it.
1: So a group of researchers in South Korea was studying, you know, a subject that I think all of us would find of intense interest now, which is whether or not wearing a mask would actually protect you or protect someone near you. Uh, If you were infected with COVID, would you be spreading it? And they did the study and they used one test in particular to look for, you know, the sort of genetic material of the virus there were a couple of red flags right from the get-go in terms of this study being published uh, or even being done. And one was that there were only four people in it, so they only had a sample size of four, which you don't have to be you know, a statistician or an epidemiologist to know. That's really, really small. Uh, and the other was that, and this apparently slipped right past the peer reviewers, in other words, the people who were supposed to judge this study before it was published and decide whether it was strong enough to be published they seem to have misunderstood one particular concept that means the study was probably meaningless. And and that concept was sort of the lowest level that this test they were using could detect of a virus. And the fact that once you were below that level, you didn't really know what it meant, but it didn't necessarily mean that there wasn't any virus there. So This is, it's a bit confusing, of course, but you would expect that in a leading medical journal, and this is a journal called the Annals of Internal Medicine, it's usually thought of as one of the top five general medical journals in the world. You would think this would have been caught before publication and maybe not even published, or maybe the study would have been improved. But it was published, this study, in early April, uh, and then it was retracted uh, in early June. And so in the meantime, it got an awful lot of attention from other scientists, from people you know on Twitter, on social media, uh, it was also written about by dozens and dozens of news outlets and covered by dozens of news outlets. So it's the old saying about a half truth making its way around the world before the truth has time to put its boots on and, and chase it. And so this is a you know good example of what has been happening, which is that journals are so eager to publish studies so quickly that often the QA, the quality assurance, is getting missed.
0: This study actually said masks were not effective in preventing the transmission of the coronavirus. And now we, we have research that says exactly the opposite. I mean, this was bad public health information being widely shared.
1: You know, it does happen. And, and frankly, I, I want to be clear here, it should happen that studies appear to be contradictory all the time. This is how science works. And Sometimes it's because you were asking the wrong question. Sometimes it's because you made a mistake. Sometimes, unfortunately, it's because you actually intentionally did something wrong in order to get published. But, you know, science progresses. It's sort of a a step forward and maybe two steps back sometimes. So, that in and of itself, the fact that a study seemed to say something other than what the prevailing wisdom was or what even most of the other studies said, I'm not hugely concerned about. What I'm more concerned about is how we treated it, how we all, as you know, the media and as other scientists, not everyone, some people were actually critical of it, sort of said, aha, you know, this confirms what I think, which is that masks aren't a good idea. I'm going to go with this one instead of the dozens of studies that say masks work because I somehow came to this thinking that masks didn't work. And so let's stick with that. And that is where the use of science can veer dangerously into politics. And you can just end up believing whatever you want to believe based on a study that comes out.
0: For people who are maybe uninitiated to how this process works, this paper is published in a prominent journal. It is later retracted after it's been widely covered. How is that retraction communicated? And is it safe to think that everyone who did cover it, uh, say, if you saw this on the nightly news, that then the nightly news came back later and said, well, actually, In our previous reporting, we covered this study. Turns out it maybe didn't hold a lot of water.
1: Well, it's certainly best practice to give a retraction at least as much oxygen as you gave the original paper. But in practice, that rarely happens. We at Retraction Watch have been tracking retractions for 10 years. It's not as though they were a new phenomenon then. So we've seen a lot of papers get retracted. One of the nice things that we see now is the ability when you go to the paper and you can see how often it's been quoted or how if it's been cited or used in support of a particular position, you can actually see all that and then track whether or not those news outlets, or in this case, the World Health Organization actually cited this paper in a big report. You can actually see whether they make any corrections or maybe make any additions or put something on top of this story or something appropriate like that. And it doesn't happen all that often sometimes retractions get as much attention because they themselves are sort of consistent with the prevailing wisdom. In other words, the original study wasn't, and that's sort of a case here. Uh, At the time you and I are speaking, I haven't seen a lot of people covering the retraction of the mass study, but it's only been out less than 24 hours now that, you know, at the time you and I are talking. So, you know, I, I would reserve judgment and see whether or not people pick it up. But you know, I think it behooves journals and it behooves universities that put out press releases about studies to make sure that they put out press releases about the retractions. I, I wouldn't count on individual reporters or, or policymakers learning about retractions because, frankly, journals don't do a very good job of getting the word out. It's sort of it's, a, it's an embarrassment to them, right? It, it's even though I think it should be a positive that you're saying, hey, we got something wrong and here's how we're cleaning it up most journals tend to see retractions as a really as a black mark and so they're not going to go out of their way to promote them or to let people know about them and they really should
0: the average person they have this thought that something that makes it into a, a research journal makes it there for a reason that you know other scientists looked at it and then they looked at it rigorously is it just safe to say that that's just not always the case? I'm just trying to think of, of what the average person should think about the fact that something like this did get retracted.
1: Well, I think they should consider a saying that I don't often quote Ronald Reagan, but it's one of his, so I got to give him credit. Trust but verify. On balance, if you see that a study was published by, you know, what was considered a leading journal or even any any strong journal. You might have a little bit more faith in it, and faith is probably the wrong word, but you might have a little more trust it's been put through its paces, and it actually might hold up. but it is nowhere near the binary sort of good housekeeping seal of approval that I think a lot of journals would like us to think it is at the end of the day, If you see a story that says "A study found that 's better than you know Dr. Ivan Oransky claims that, but it actually isn't nearly quote-unquote true or accurate. You you just don't know that yet. So I would not pay too much attention to any story that is based on a single study, especially at a time when these studies are coming out. I mean, literally in the hundreds every week, some of them contradictory, some of them on really minute sort of issues that aren't necessarily that important. And yet all of us, and I blame all of us in the media, are running after every single one of these as if they were the gospel, as if they were the final word, and they're just not.
0: That is a great transition, I think, to talking about uh, preprints. These are studies that have not undergone peer review, but institutions, um, especially during this pandemic, have been very excited to share them. I can say there are a number of research universities here in metro Atlanta and across the state that you know regularly send out press releases about these studies that have not been peer reviewed just to kind of give us a baseline what is the real issue here with a preprint the the idea that a researcher in a lab maybe has found something preliminary but it hasn't gone through a rigorous review process
1: well preprints are a way for scientists to get the word out more quickly mostly to other scientists but we are now in a frame of mind where you know, everything can get reported on because it's about COVID, it's about coronavirus, it must be important. We need the information to get out there immediately. In and of itself, that's not a problem. It's just a question of what kind of caveats do you put on it? We're, we're in this world now of preprints and all of a sudden everyone's talking about preprints because the two major preprint servers that would be relevant to COVID research, BioArchive, which is life science research, MedArchive, which is clinical research, they didn't exist. During the Ebola outbreak of 2014-2015, so it stands to reason that although preprints existed, they were mostly in physics and and math and computer science and other areas like that that aren't particularly relevant to the public health. All of a sudden, there's so much more attention focused on preprints. But what I would not want anyone to take away is that preprint servers are automatically unreliable, whereas peer-reviewed journals are automatically reliable. It's such a gray area in between, and we see so many cases of problematic research in the peer-reviewed journals. I would say it's the same trust, but verify. And if you see a study that is a story that is only based on a preprint, I would probably have less of a sort of pre-trust in that story than I would of a peer-reviewed journal, but it wouldn't be black and white. It'd be, you know, different shades of gray.
0: You mentioned these two websites, Bioarchive and, and Medarchive. It's actually BioRxiv and MedRxiv. So I just want to flag that for people as something to watch out for in the coverage of a preprint. What what is certain phraseology a reader should look for? What are maybe some some red flags someone should just be aware of that could help them understand that they are reading a story about a preprint?
1: Well, the first red flag is. Does the reporter seem to understand what, you know, he or she is reporting on? We use code all the time to try and let readers know whether to trust something or not. Uh, You know, if you're a political reporter, you're going to tell someone whether the outside comment that you have is from someone who supports the other candidate. So we should apply the same approach and readers should, and listeners and viewers should apply the same approach and say, why should I trust what you're saying? Again, trust but verify. Are you telling me that this has appeared in a leading journal and that it's been really beaten up? It's been peer reviewed. I mean, I'm not sure that everyone even knows what peer review means. I certainly didn't know what peer review meant before I started, you know, medical school. And so most people aren't necessarily gonna know what peer review means. So describe that process. And if it's a preprint, you know, I and, and it says something like, This has not been reviewed by any experts in the field and just sort of appeared online, well that tells you something. You don't have to even use the word preprints or peer-reviewed, I don't, those are all, that's all jargon. Like, just show me the state of play. But frankly, that applies to peer-reviewed journals as well. It isn't enough, even though the New England Journal loves it, that it seems to be enough for many reporters to say this appeared in the New England Journal of Medicine. Well, what does that mean? So again, you know, trust but verify, and maybe just at the end of the day, take a deep breath. Understand that this is very fast moving and that we want science to move very quickly, but that whenever we try and be definitive, it's a really good way to be wrong. So just don't put such import into anything that you read until there is a gathering, a consensus, a sort of growing understanding of what we're really looking at.
0: I wonder too about what you make of a lot of the attention that's been paid to this antiviral drug remdesivir. It was shown in you know limited studies to reduce the time that people with very severe COVID-19 spent in the hospital. But what we've actually seen now is the maker of this drug essentially handed out to states who are now handing it out to hospitals. But at this point, we still don't have a really great sense of how truly this drug remdesivir would be effective for large and different populations. So What do you make of a situation like that? There is maybe something where there's a little bit of promise shown and then a lot of trust put into this as a potential therapy.
1: It's good and understandable that people want to try various things. What's interesting about Rondesivir is that it got its start as an Ebola drug. It didn't do very well as an Ebola drug. Uh, People have sort of forgotten about that. That actually, all of this happened during the last, it was an outbreak, not a pandemic of Ebola five, six years ago. But. You know, we're now just repeating the same mistakes because nobody actually ever remembers any of that because we go frantic every time there's an outbreak or, a pandem- or certainly a pandemic. You know, the, the issue with any particular drug or any particular treatment is often not even what that treatment or that drug does or doesn't do. And it may help a little bit. It suggests that, you know, there's some benefit, although it's not nearly as robust as a lot of people would like it to be, and it may only be for certain populations. The problem, though, is what are we not doing because we're so fixated or we're getting, you know, it's just, it's an old opportunity cost that economists would talk about. For a while, we were fixated on hydroxychloroquine, which seems to have not been helpful at all. Now we're fixated on remdesivir, and that suddenly became the standard of treatment. We were obviously all waiting for a vaccine, which is being developed, but we have very preliminary data on now. So if you say this is going to be the answer, You have a really good chance of being wrong.
0: In these kinds of crisis situations, there is this, I think, very understandable desire for some kind of quick solution. How can the the public, how can researchers, how can journalists balance out this desire I think we all have for this situation to be over (laughs) with this healthy awareness of the fact that quick solutions aren't always readily
1: available? I guess it depends, Sam, on how often you want to be disappointed and how often you want to have false hope. And I think that it can't start during the pandemic. We can't suddenly start educating people about how science works during a pandemic. I don't think we can educate people at all about anything when they're in the middle of an understandable existential crisis. So what we all need to do is learn from this for moving forward. I I don't think that there's a A sort of somehow golden opportunity in the midst of this there's maybe a golden opportunity in the midst of this to take notes learn and listen but based on our experience with ebola where the national academy of sciences put out a report saying everything that i'm saying now none of these are my ideas they're all none of them are new here's how we failed and here's why we need to do better next time we have ignored every single one of those or at least the people in charge seem to have ignored every single one of those so when we go back to quote unquote normal, whatever that is, it isn't suddenly going to be okay to go back to reporting on single studies of coffee or red wine or chocolate and say, well, it doesn't really matter because it's not a pandemic anymore. Actually, it does. Because if you make people think that every single study is important, then during a pandemic, they're going to think that every single study is important. That's on us. It's on scientists, it's on journalists, it's on educators to actually inform people in advance of how this all works and not try and do it during a pandemic, because I just don't think that's realistic.
0: Ivan Oransky is co-founder of Retraction Watch. He's also vice president of editorial at the medical news website Medscape and teaches medical journalism at New York University. Did You Wash Your Hands? is a production of 90.1 WABE Atlanta, where ATL meets NPR. You can reach us with questions, comments, or controversy at washyourhands@wabe.org. You can find all our episodes in your favorite podcast app, where you can also leave us a rating and a review. And you can find more stories on the coronavirus pandemic at wabe.org coronavirus. If you haven't recently, now might be a good time to go wash your hands. I'm Sam Whitehead. Thanks for listening. Have you donated to WAB yet? I know you've heard us talking about why it's important, but it doesn't have to be this big decision. You can give at whatever amount fits your budget. It can be a spur-of-the-moment thing.